Good evening, everyone. How are you guys doing tonight? Uh, welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of He Said, He Said, He Said, uh, Look at the World from a Seasoned Black Man's Perspective. I'm Alvin King, and I am so, so happy to be with you guys tonight. And if I'm not mistaken, it is eight days before Christmas. Can you believe it? Well, I can, because I haven't done anything but put this tree up behind me and put lights outside my house. So Merry Christmas to all of you. Welcome to a, a new show tonight, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, we are not where we were last year, praise the Lord, but we still have to be careful because COVID is alive and real, okay? And tonight is our last show for the year. This is our last show. We will be off uh, Christmas Eve and New Year's Eve, but this is not our anniversary show, and not at all. We're just, you know, going according to the years, and so we will, this is our last show for the year, and I want you to put on your calendar Friday, February the 25th. That will be the He Said, He Said, He Said anniversary show, and we have a whole bunch in store for you. So tonight, welcome to our show. Once again, we are here to discuss the current debate over the use of critical race theory. And some of you may refer to it as CRT. Now, what I've concluded in my research for CRT is that it's a theory that seeks to explain how governing systems like laws to oppress and hinder black, indigenous, and people of color. But many of us are still wondering and asking the same questions, like who created critical race theory? Why should I even care about critical race theory? Why do lawmakers want to ban critical race theory? And why did critical race theory all of a sudden just come under fire and dominate the headlines? Well, tonight we're gonna talk about that and we have a very, very special guest with us. His name is Jamie R. Riley. He's the director of race and justice for the NAACP. And he's here to close out 2021 with us on our show. And we will examine critical race theory with him <laughs> and discuss what it really means. We'll address some of the disinformation out there um, that's you know all out in the world and how this term slash phrase is being discussed, which appears to be used mainly by our Republican Party, ladies and gentlemen, but um, we're going to break it down for you tonight and we're going to do it in a way that's not over your head like it is for many of us. But before we do all that, I need to bring in my co-host, ladies and gentlemen. So please <coughs> join me in welcoming my co-host, Mr. Saladin Dare, Mr. Nigel Asford and Mr. Vash Bodhi. How are you guys doing? Hey, Alvin, how are you doing? Hey. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. You see, I'm trying to give a little Christmas color in my little black velvet and, you know, trying to be all, you know, Christmassy and in the holiday spirit. So, you know, I'm you trying to do me, Yes, everything festive. It's so um, good. I'm, I'm trying to do it. So thank you. <laughs> I, 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 I even did a look a little shave. You see what I'm saying? See, I got my little goatee going, you know, because uh, you all inspire me. So I said, okay, I need to change it up. But um, you guys doing good? <laughs> yes. Yeah. yes, 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 yes. Yeah. Okay, so for, let, let me ask you also, are you guys in the holiday spirit? Ooh. Alvin, Ooh. I'm telling you today, <laughs> someone told me that Christmas is just next week. And I, I, I actually denied it. I fought them. I was like, there's no way. And then I had to do the numbers. Christmas 
is next Saturday. Can you believe that? I this has boss. been the fastest and the slowest year ever. Well, yes, because you have a tree. I think you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it, it is. It is next week. Well, how about you guys, uh, Saladin, Nigel? You guys, you guys in the spirit? Alvin, I think mm. um, going back to what you said earlier, like I'm just happy it's not like last year. Uh, I'm just really excited that you know families get to come together that we get to spend the holidays together, that we get to eat the good Christmas food. So I think I'm just excited about family and food. Food, most of all, I love family, but it's nothing like the food. You said food. How about you? <laughs> I mean, I'm just excited to be off from food. work for a few weeks. <laughs> <laughs> so you on vacation as well? No, uh, Monday's my last day. I'm off. Monday's your last day. Okay, okay. Yeah. Well. I thought I'd ask you that question, and in case you weren't, you know, I thought tonight I'm going to. I wanted to surprise you guys and play my favorite game. So you got to work with me. Uh -oh. I, I love rapid fire. You know I do. So I got some <laughs> rapid fire for all of you. Okay, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna call the name, and and or you all can call it out. You know, but I'm gonna ask you a rapid fire and 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 give it to me real quick. Are you ready? Mm -hmm. Okay. What is the best or worst <clears throat> Christmas present you've ever received? Socks. Oh, I guess you all have cheap cologne. Okay. <laughs> cheap cologne. And Vosh, I'm gonna move Vosh, on. Is there a list that you're like, going down? You never got yeah, a gift. Like, okay. I, well, okay. Yeah, we, keep we're, gonna come, we're gonna come back. Yeah, yeah, to yeah. Okay. Name something about Christmas that most people like, but you hate or at least dislike. Carolyn. Mine's is uh, 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 going to work holiday parties. Uh, oh, you fruit all cake. Like. I'm thinking dishes after dinners. <laughs> you know, come, come to your house. Okay. What, ho what holiday movie or special do you watch over and over again? Imitation of Life. Yeah, that's a good one, Saladin. Same. Yeah. Mine is the, the Wizard of Oz. The Wizard of Oz. That that's also mm -hmm. one of my favorites. Okay, okay. Yeah. So, viewers, I hope you're learning uh, some more about this crew here. Okay, because some of us don't even remember Christmas. Okay, so what's your favorite or least favorite Christmas song? Mine Anything is by Mariah Carey. What Mariah Carey? This is her time to shine during the holidays. She got McDonald's. She good. Okay, she got McDonald's now. So she, <laughs> she, 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 she good. Okay, okay. So I'll go. Okay, so. If you could travel anywhere for Christmas, where would you go? Guadalupe. Guadalupe? Watch, I'm scared of you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm going to Fiji. Fiji? Okay. Mine is mm -hmm. Paris. Okay. As long as I have a boyfriend. I, Paris is it. Okay. All right. Well, what's um, your number two? Uh, it's Paris. Okay. What's your favorite? <laughs> what's your, what's your, your least favorite item on your Christmas to-do list? Shop. Okay. Shop. Mine is. Uh, I don't take down. I don't have a to do list. <laughs> okay. 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 Would you rather have three feet of snow or uh, for Christmas or no snow at all? No snow at all. No snow at all. Okay. If someone offered you a gift card to any store in the world, which one would you choose? Mine Bird or Bird Bird. Oh. Okay. Okay. <clears throat> 
Von Helsing. <laughs> you right now. Okay. What? I said Bergdorf's uh, as well. Oh, oh, you said Bergdorf's as well? Okay. I, Saladin is, and I said it at the same time. Same. Okay, okay, I got it. Okay. What is the best gift you've ever given someone? Myself. I said myself. As did I. I said a, myself. Okay. A coat. A coat? Mm, okay. Yes, a lamp. I gave my best a friend a coat, yeah. And I know someone probably who's watching here would probably say, no, you, you gave me that Louis Vuitton bag that you can't find. Okay, <laughs> if you were Santa Claus, what type of cookie would you want to be left under your, um, left out for Christmas Eve? Snickerdoodle. Chocolate chip with pecans. My favorite and my own personal recipe, oatmeal raisin especial. Vosh, you just made a believer out of me. And my last question, okay. <laughs> What would you rather, would you rather build a snowman, go sledding, or have a snow fight? Snow fight. Sledding. 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 Oh, Ladies God. and gentlemen. Yeah, I'll just show your I, I, <laughs> <laughs> I, I hope you all know more about this. He said, he said, panel, ladies and gentlemen. And if you want to spend Christmas with any of one of them, DM them, okay, if you found something interesting. Um, but thank you all very much for indulging me in that game. I know I pulled it on you guys and and I just can't believe, Vosh, you just kind of turned me out a little bit. Okay, all right, all right. Well, so, I um, had answers for mostly everything. <laughs> so are you all ready to talk about this topic that we have been waiting to talk about, I mean, for, for months, really? And I know we've kind of gone around with it in our production meetings, but to finally um, do it and have someone here that, you know, that uh, we respect and we know he's going to bring what we need to have for this show regarding that topic, ladies and gentlemen. So if you all are ready, I am ready to uh, get on with the show. You guys ready? Oh yeah. Let's do it. Okay. 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 Well, um, our special guest, Dr. Jamie R. Riley has worked as a racial justice and social change agent in higher education and or nonprofit administration for the past 15 years as a published researcher. He is a critical race theorist and investigates the systemic role of race and racism within American culture, systems, and institutions. Previously, he led his own diversity and strategic planning consulting company, Engaging You, LLC, and served as the director of racial equity for the Center for Law and Social Policy, CLASP, a national anti-poverty policy nonprofit right here in Washington, D.C., Dr. Raleigh served as the Assistant Vice President for Student Life and Dean of Students at the University of Alabama, where he was the first Black African-American to hold the position. Jamie, as we will call him tonight, has an extensive professional career leading racial uh, equity, justice, and inclusion efforts. He served as the founding Dean for, University, for Diversity and Inclusion at John Hopkins University, a native of Cincinnati, Ohio. He attended Tennessee State University, where he received a Bachelor of Science in Healthcare Administration and Planning and a Master of Education in Education Leadership and Administration in 2004. He received his PhD in Counseling and Human Development from the University of Georgia in 2011. Family, friends, he said, he said, please welcome Dr. Jamie R. Riley. Hey. <laughs> hey! Hey, Jamie. Welcome. Hey. Hey, can you hear me all right? Uh, yeah. Yes. 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 We can hear. Well, these yeah, air yes, pods don't always work well with you, so I'm just making sure. 
I'm still in there. Good to see you. We, we can hear you. you. I, I have to say, um, I'm just going to say, you know, because I've been talking to him before the show. First of all, your your <laughs> your resume is so impressive. And oh. I, I, I look at you and I promise you, you guys, if you see him in person, he looks like he's 12 years old sometimes. Okay, So, <laughs> so I mean, it, it's, it's look, quite scary. Beard. This beard, you know, everybody asks me for a headshot these days, and I haven't taken any new headshots. So folks are like, wait a minute, that's the same guy in the picture. But I try to get the beard to age me a little bit, you know, to get this <laughs> well, it, it, well I, I'm not even going to say it's working, but I'm going to say thank you for being here, Jamie. We, 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 we really appreciate it. And what I'd like for you to do right now, Jamie, is take about 90 seconds to tell our viewers about your role as the uh, director of race and justice for the NAACP. Absolutely. Um, I mean, it's a huge honor. I just start off like that. I always tell the story. I um, started my relationship uh, with the NAACP as an undergrad at Tennessee State. Uh, when I got there, the chapter had been inactive for some years. Um, and so I worked with the headquarters uh, youth and college director at the time. He's pretty famous. You may know him now, uh, Jeff Johnson, cousin Jeff, that you may have heard on BET and other shows. He was the national director of youth and college. And so I reached out to NAACP, reactivated the chapter. We became the largest college chapter in the country back in, um, I think, 2002, 2003. Um, uh, Ebony Magazine did an interview of SGA presidents. I was student government president um, that, and I got an Ebony that year and they asked me what my dream job was. And I said to do advocacy and social change work for the NAACP. Um, and so years later, um, I've had the honor to be in that role. And so my position um, really works to develop advocacy strategies, approaches, policy uh, recommendations on addressing um, the areas of justice reform and uh, the economy, um, but more globally issues where uh, there's opportunities for us to kind of center and prioritize racial equity a little bit more closely. So looking at systems and institutions and structures and providing recommendations on guidance on how we can move that forward. So a lot of my work most recently has been on, you know, how do we address police reform after the failure of the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act negotiations in, in the Congress? Um, how do we think about uh, Black people and centering Black communities and all this big economic legislation that's happening right now with the Build Back Better Act and the bipartisan infrastructure law and really working on the Hill um, and across the country, really, to ensure that Black people are centered uh, and prioritized in all that we do. And NAACP has great relationships to be able to do that. So it's been an honor and it's been a privilege to be able to be paid and get your livelihood to work on behalf of Black people every day. Thank you. Thank you. That's awesome. All right. All right. So I'll go ahead and get started, Jamie. Um, how would you characterize uh, the current climate around race relations in the U.S.? Yeah, and I'll try to, you know, I want to respect the time. We could probably talk about this for two hours, but, um, you know, it's tense, you know, race. And I think it'll align to when we start talking about CRT more specifically, but race has really been the center of creating a caste system in our country on who the haves and have nots, who's been able to have access opportunity and more importantly, power. Um, and it's maintained and existed that relationship with this country historically for centuries at this point in time. Um, you know, this country has made a lot of incremental reform um, in addressing that issue, um, but it is still widely buried and deep, deepenly ingrained into many of the institutions that we rely on to navigate and sustain ourselves. So that's education, access, it's healthcare, that's the economy, that's the environment. Um, you know, that, I mean, it's pretty much in all, it's a government. Um, 
And so it's, 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 it's raw. And unfortunately, um, you know, and I'll do this as much as nonpartisan as possible, but unfortunately we've uh, had some leaders come into positions uh, in the past decade that really resurfaced what I think was a monster that we were trying to put to sleep in this country, which was the overt form of racial, racial uh, differences and racial ide ideologies mm -hmm. and racism um, that uh, was really setting us back and taking us back to times that we weren't. So it's tense. Um, right. you know, as much as I think a lot of us celebrate the election of President Obama uh, and the, the nominate the election, I should say, also as uh, Vice President Harris, there also has been a reaction and response to that, which is what we're addressing now. So it's tense. Um, it's no longer just covert, it's overt again. Um, mm -hmm. And it's really in a, in a movement right now to try to reclaim the commitment that this country has made for democracy uh, for all. Um, so this is a time to get involved. This is a time to, to, you know, to, to kind of use our activism to make that change. Now, Jamie, Alvin touched on this just a little bit at the intro of the show, but what exactly is critical race theory? Can you give us a more descriptive definition? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, you know, I, and I'll try to make it um, not super academic, but it is an academic framework. So that's the first thing, which is why it's not even necessary in this conversation that we're having right now um, around schools. So when you really, um, let me start from its kind of its founding. So we all know about the Civil Rights Act, um, you know, that passed in 64, that really uh, made it illegal to discriminate um, on the basis of race and other protected identities. And so prior to 64, you know, racism and racial, uh, uh, racial ideologies, racial inequities, they were legal. You know, it was legal. The law supported your ability to discriminate against people uh, based off of race. Well, in 64, that went away. But <clears throat> I know we all know that just because a law came into play doesn't mean the ideologies, the thoughts, the perspectives, the values of the country shifted all of a sudden at the signing of a bill or an act. And so what we recognized after 64 in the civil rights movement, as we all know, is there were still inequities. You know, there were gender inequities, racial inequities, um, you know, there were inequities around, you know, sexual identities, who had access to be married, all that stuff, things that we we're still fighting for now. And so there was a need to be able to interrogate and analyze systems and institutions, policies, laws through the lens of centering historically marginalized identities and backgrounds. And so um, the term folks used back then, minorities, you know, we don't really use that term as much now. But so critical race theory really came about in the 70s post the civil rights movement as a tool to continue effort to build inclusion and justice where legal it came from le critical legal studies really it started in law and it really came to help practitioners and scholars in law really analyze the impact of various laws that were now being deemed colorblind that now that it was not legal to discriminate everyone had access critical race theory created a framework and really lifted up the narratives of people of color to be able to talk about particularly black people initially um, to really talk about and to share experiences and to collect data um, based off racialized experiences. The thing about CRT that's interesting is it like there's there's a whole bunch of iterations. Like there's uh, Lat Crit, which is around the Latino Latina experience. There's queer critical queer theory. There's queer theory. Um, there's a lot of different iterations of similar frameworks. And so all it really is, I usually wear glasses when I don't have my contacts in, but I always tell folks it's a lens to how you understand things. It's a framework. Um, yeah, mm -hmm. it's how you analyze. Um, 
and it is only technically a curriculum for folks who are in school, graduate school, usually or law school, um, who are using, who want to critique or create a critical lens of how we understand something. Okay. Okay. So how are you connected to critical race theory? Yeah. Um, I feel like I eat, breathe, and <clears throat> sleep critical race theory these days. That's, uh, you know, I think that has to do with a lot of discourse that's going on. You know, I always, my first interaction with CRT, and one thing I would say, if you, you know, there's there's a lot of books around critical race theory. I'm a show and tell type of person. So okay. here's a, um, one of the manuals. You can see how, how thick it is. Um, some of the founders of CRT, I want to make sure I lift some of them up. Derek Bell, um, Gene Stefanik, uh, Gloria Lanson Billings, uh, Richard Delgado, Kimberly Crenshaw, who also created intersectionality, which we've, you've probably heard about before as far as you know, identities are concerned. Um, and so I first, you know, one big tenet of critical race theory is uh, counter narratives or storytelling that people of culture who come from historically underrepresented cultures pass down history, um, share knowledge, tr create transformation through storytelling and narratives. And um, quickly, I was in my first, it was a, two days before I started my PhD program at the University of Georgia. I was 25 at the time. Um, I had went to an HBCU prior to, so I already dealt with a little bit of stereotype threat and, and about not belonging and feeling like I wasn't smart enough and, you know, going to you know, a school like Georgia. And I was driving down the street to, I found a black barbershop in Athens, Georgia, and I was driving down the street to get to the barbershop. It was around rush hour um, and, you know, small town rush hour, not like Atlanta, D.C. rush hour. Just traffic. There were four cars. <laughs> you know, five cars. You know, that was, <laughs> you know, there's no real highway, but it was traffic for me. Look, that's how I was trapped. It was rush hour. Um, and I tried to get over in a lane and a guy and a, a white dude and a dirty pickup truck, I guess, got upset that I tried to get over. And he said, what the F are you doing? You effing in. Um, and it took me aback because I was like, I hadn't experienced this before. And I'm like, how am I supposed to kind of get my mind around now being the only black male in my PhD program at the time um, at a school that has had a very sordid history with diversity and integration? Um, Georgia wasn't integrated to the 60s. My parents were born um, before, you know, right around the time that Georgia was uh, integrated, which is ridiculous. That's not that long. Um, and so I really wanted a framework to understand how I could help make change. And so I took some qualitative research classes. Um, and so I started to take classes and I started to do re conduct research. My dissertation, I studied racism for black men on predominantly white campuses was the first large study that I did on critical race, using a critical race theory framework and then using it as a way to collect data, which is just kind of storytelling. And I used pictures for the guys mm -hmm. to tell me about how they experienced racism. And then all of my work academically, um, and even in the advocacy space has been centered in race. So it's been how I pay my bills. It's been how I try to lead change. Um, and mm -hmm. part of what I try to do is also have these type of conversations to bring other people into the into the critical race uh, sphere. Because it's not that it's 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 not as scary as it's and it's not as intellectualized as I think we're hearing about it. On um, so I hope this conversation makes other folks want to get a little bit more involved in how they can engage in the CRT work too. Yeah. yeah. Jamie, can you speak to the original body of critical race theory and how it, how it's trickled down into the philosophy of education and school pedagogy and administration? Yeah, so it, it really started in law. Again, it was really how, and I guess the best way to kind of give some examples of that, um, 
is to really talk about how CRT, why it was necessary. And so if you look through, it started in law. So if you look at redlining, we all kind of heard the redlining where there's a devalue mm -hmm. of homes um, in black neighborhoods. The Federal Housing Administration in 1934 um, refused to insure mortgages for near, near African-American neighborhoods um, which was called redlining. At the same time, the FHA, Fair Housing Administration, subsidized builders who were mass producing entire subdivisions for whites with the requirement that none of the homes be sold to African-Americans. And so you've got a whole national administration, a governmental administration that has built in racialized segregation and discriminatory practices. CRT allows us to antagonize that and talk about where, the why, the how, and how to address it. If you look at the New Deal, in 1933, domestic care workers were left out of the benefits of the New Deal. You know, they're saying the Build Back Better agenda is kind of like the new New Deal. It's going to expand mm -hmm. social safety net and public benefit programs. Um, so the New Deal left domestic care workers out. Well, at that point in time, most domestic care workers were black women during that time. So black women, black families at that time did not benefit from any of the public benefit programs, hence weren't able to build generational wealth, remained in poverty. Um, and so, again, race was centered in how we understood that. Um, if you look at many of the other public programs, um, if you look at like uh, SNAP and TANF and, and the idea that many of the programs require work requirements, um, family caps, drug testing. Um, even if you're hearing Manchin right now talk about the child tax credit, he's talked mm -hmm. about means testing. Um, those are all buzzwords for racialized ideologies on how mm -hmm. low-income people of color, mostly black people, will make will make use or take advantage of public programs. And so critical race theory really gave scholars the language to interrogate laws and policies. What folks realized after that was, well, there are other institutions um, as well that have had some of these same practices. And so it really moved into education uh, because, again, we looked at funding for schools. We looked at how schools were based off local taxes we, and incomes of the people in those areas. We looked at, you know, the ideas of charter schools um, and their role. And so it really and Gloria Lanson Billings is one of the ones um, who really kind of opened up the education conversation um, okay. on the K-12 space. It, it, it took off more about understanding the institution and system of education, not teaching students critical race theory. It was more about how do you create a pedagogical approach or a curricular approach, curriculum, in other words, approach for students um, that, does, that addresses all the institutional uh, inequities in race. Not specifically what you're saying in the classroom or the content, but how you're thinking about education. Um, and it's mm -hmm. also moved to the higher ed space as well as you think about climate uh, retention attrition rates as well and so again started in law moved to education and it's been used widely in health um, it's been used as you think about other institutions but it's most popular for education in law given that they kind of you know they have institutional inequities built into them and there's policies that wrap around them as well right so jamie i'm going to give you a, a moment to catch your breath and i'm going <laughs> to say hello to some of our our viewers right. that have come on so uh <clears throat> Welcome, Derwin, uh, uh, Jan Janelle Gordon, who I've never seen before. Thank you for joining us tonight. Jennifer Flynn. I don't think I've seen Jennifer Flynn before, but welcome. 
uh, DJ uh, Callaway, who said this is a great combo and much needed. Yes, right, brother, we, we 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 think it is too. And uh, also, <laughs> I think I think I saw uh, Rudy Miles. Hey, Rudy, uh, w- welcome back um, for for another show. And what does Rudy say here? Um, correct my thinking that CRT is the con- is the context that challenges the justification impact and implementation of institutional racist policies, procedures, and ideologies. Oh, Rudy, that's so far over my head. I'm bald, and I felt my hair move. Okay, we are Rudy. <laughs> but I, I'm gonna let I'm gonna see that, that, that that's why we have the SME here. Okay, so <laughs> if you wanna go, the floor is yours. The floor. Is Rudy yours. is completely right. Okay. Okay. Oh. Rudy is right. I, I mean, Rudy said it in a very eloquent and uh, intellectual way. But yes, it is really, it is, it is a tool. Which when we start talking about what's going on now, it'll make sense um, uh, why. But it's really just a tool to understand. I mean, like I said, a lot of us wear glasses. If you put on glasses, it helps you see. It gives you the ability to see and to understand and to make meaning. And that's all critical race theory. There's a lot of frameworks in research. Um, and like I said, there are a lot of, uh, there's a lot that's not being talked about. Like there's tribal crit that talks about our native brothers and sisters and families. There's lat crit, there's Asian crit, our CRT crit is kind of the acronym for that. Um, and so there's a whole, you know, there's there's queer theory, there's, um, which, uh, you know, really came from like uh, gender studies. Um, and so there's a lot of research uh, and analysis frameworks that are used to move society and institutions forward and critical race theory is just one of those um but because race is so polarizing in our country which i know we'll talk more about is why it's become under attack and under fire um at this point in time so jamie let me ask you how has crt moved the needle on inclusion in the united states i mean it is you know a lot of work as you think about the, the 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 process of creating policy, which really sets the parameters and guidelines for how institutions are structured, a lot of the lawmakers and policy um, uh, makers and advocacy organizations have relied on CRT-based research to ensure that communities are included and thought about um, as they develop policies and procedures or legislation, um, and so. You know, one of the things to think about is that although CRT is, you know, you're not going to see it or hear it referred to as people are putting legislation forward or as they're as they're um, advocating for certain areas, it has influenced everything from how we think about school access, um, how we think about healthcare programs and reform, how we've addressed gentrification and this revitalization of neighborhoods and communities. It is a very, it is a, it's been a behind the scenes, and I don't even say behind the scenes. It's been a very, a very evident and necessary tool for inclusion, because it informs how people understand and think about something. Um, and so, you know, what folks who do this work really are trying to do is make sure that their inquiry, their research, their work is in front of those who are making these pretty big decisions. Um, if you think about a lot of the, you know, for the first time, to my knowledge. We have a president in the United States who has made an executive order about racial equity. Uh, we've never seen that before. It was some of the folks doing CRT type of work that even were able to elevate that as a necessary tool, because the reality of it is this country is going to be majority 
and is consistently growing to be majority people of color um, and will continue to do so. And there are folks who are nervous about that. It's why we're seeing January 6th. It's why we saw Stop the Steal. It's why we're seeing this fight against CRT. And so um, CRT has been a very successful tool and folks are nervous about that, which is why it's under attack at this point in time. Now, now, Jamie, I know you said CRT started back in the 1970s when people were just telling their stories in those classrooms. Mm -hmm. How has that controversy, what is the controversy like right now in today's time? Yeah, yeah. So a lot of folks are real interested where it started from. Um, and, you know, I will, I will argue that it started from the nomination of President Obama as the first person of color, a black person um, to be president, um, because it showed, excuse me, a level of progress that this country, even though it may have just been symbolic in some folks' mind, but it showed a symbolism of progress that this country had never seen before, that the face, the representation, the most quote unquote powerful position in this country was now a person of color when Folks have never seen that before. And so, you know, there's this idea that we all, like there's a pie and there's only a certain amount of pieces for everyone. Well, you know, someone argue we can make the pie bigger so everyone has a piece, but that's not the, that's not the ideology. The ideology is it's limited, it, there's limited power. Right. And so when he, you know, took office, um, folks, you know, it started with the birther movement with uh, the name who I shall not say, um, uh, who started the birther movement and later became president. Uh, after uh, President Obama. Um, but it started with really this response to this power grab. Um, folks feeling they had to reclaim, reown um, this country, uh, which was already stolen and, and colonized and wasn't, you know, and so, um, but yeah, so it in my opinion, it started there. Um, and then when you move <clears throat> from there, um, you know, we moved into an administration then that was really emboldened to say the things and to lift up the things in, um, you know, Trump, I guess this is his name, um, to lift up the things uh, <laughs> if that- If I had to. <laughs> if I have to say If you had to. If I have to. <laughs> Let me say it. Um, I'm, I am nonpartisan, but you know, my thoughts about him is not about his politics, it's about him as a person. But um, I think that um, the, <laughs> Yeah, I'm still healing too. He's still so healing. Okay. Rudy, you took okay. it right out of him. I was like, I just saying the name. <laughs> We're all healing. Still. Okay. He who shall We're not be healing. Healing. Okay, that that person. Um, but you know, he actually put down an executive order in 2020 that really said that anyone who was getting government funds to support critical race theory um training or anything around crt would not you were it was not allowed so basically if you're using funds from the government to conduct crt training or de and i trainings um and so again that was really an emboldened you know call out to say that we are fighting this movement we are counterfighting or fighting this movement for inclusion um and so we could see through his all administration he did that whether it be talking about immigration policy um whether it be talking about how he you know, his claim to supporting the black community or being the best president for black folks was handling crime in our neighborhoods and cl cleaning up our neighborhoods like all black people live in crime ridden neighborhoods and um, and in and, and, and those type of experiences. And so it really started under him. What has happened now, in my opinion, and in the, the conversation in the kind of amongst those who do this work is that 
it's a power, we're in a moment of power grab right now. Um, the country is becoming more browner, more full of folks of color, uh, women and uh, cisgendered women are gaining control and gaining power. People of color are gaining control and gaining power. And so we need to use fear tactics to scare the good suburban uh, white people, you know, into that their country and their kids are, are gonna be brainwashed by this inclusion effort. So CRT, it was used because it was a term um, folks were familiar with, but it also didn't, it, it, you technically can't get on, you know, you can't nationally say that diversity and inclusion efforts are bad. You know, you, even though that's what they're saying in this fight of CRT, because I mean, if you start to say that talking about diversity is a negative thing, then, you know, do you align with the democracy that this country says that we align with? And so CRT is really just a scapegoat for what they're really saying, which is again, the diversity, equity and inclusion efforts are bad. Um, and so right now it's really a fight for who controls education, who controls, and really, if you look at it even more nuanced, if you stop folks from teaching kids about understanding power, privilege, and oppression, you build less allies, i.e. you build less liberal voters, i.e. the, the part more conservative parties can stay in power. So mm -hmm. if you stop teaching these kids about white privilege and white supremacy, or if you ban them being able to talk about identity and privilege, and then you create a stronger conservative base that can fight against this insurgence of folks of color and communities of color in the country. So at the high level, that's kind of what's going on. And really it's a power fight at this point in time. Um, and, you know, it's going to be an on the ground in a policy fight that I think we're all in. in this moment. Well, I have a question and it kind of coincides with something that DJ asked. Uh, my question okay. is how do we continue to advance uh, racial equity and inclusion and DJ has asked, do you think that the future approval of free community college is the closest we will get to reparations for black people and help mobilize black communities? DJ, that's a great, that's a great question. I would hope not. And the only reason why I say that is because, you know, technically reparations are supposed to be for the descendants of our enslaved ancestors. That free community wealth. college is going to, it, yeah, exactly. Generational wealth to help us build and regain a lot of the footing that we that was stolen from us. Um, and so I'm really nervous that any federal policy can do that because federal policy is not allowed to disaggregate who they get to it. So as much as black folks will benefit from getting free community college, so are other folks who are who have not experienced to come from the legacy of enslavement. And so in some sense, I wouldn't call it reparations. Um, but to your point, it is an example of an attempt to right size but we already know that right sizing does not help us catch up. I mean, it just really um, provides opportunities where we're still generations behind. So mm -hmm. there are still some movement. There's, you know, the House passed some legislation about investigating uh, reparations. There's some good work in the civil rights, social justice space around that. A lot of local cities, um, I think Evanston, Illinois is one that passed uh, legislation last year that gave residents um, of Evanston support, um, financial support for home ownership and property ownership, um, even if they weren't first time buyers, if they were residents. And so a lot of cities and states have taken up the reparations fight. We just have to figure out what sticks federally so we can um, expand it to all, uh, all black folks who've been in, whose generations have been impacted by enslavement. So 
Well, Broody said free college. That's it. Oh, hell no. One thing I will add, though, is like the um, the Build Back Better Act does have some really good stuff in it. Um, in general, the free community college is one of them. We don't know if that'll stay in, as the Senate, you know, but like the child tax credit, um, what that does for black folks and black communities, you know, giving families 300 or $600 a month. Um, that has done a, a huge, has cut child poverty by 50% and addressed yeah. racial equity drastically. Yeah. And so there is a way that legislation can do that. And again, critical race theory and DE and I folks are the ones who really raise those issues that have created these policies. Um, and so the use of it is way bigger than it, it is not a K through 12 curriculum. Um, but again, it's being used as a dog whistle, um, to really fear, to bring in fear that again, folks of color are, are, are gaining power and we need to take that power. So we need to stop building so many liberal thinking allies at the young age. And so, you know, that's the effort in, in my opinion. So it's really not oh. targeting elementary school students because that's a lot of the talking points that we're getting is that, oh, it's right. teaching our kids that the world is fully racist and it's not really targeting children. Is that what I'm hearing you say? Yeah, I mean, the, the only way CRT could ever even interact with a child in a classroom, honestly, is if the teacher uses it to think about their curriculum. So, for instance, the teacher may teach a different approach to the founding of this country. They may think about, like, um, telling the full narrative of how the United States came to be. They may talk about the historic impacts of slavery versus just talking about slavery, you know? so. It is not, there is no uh, K through 12 CRT textbook. There is no curriculum for, it is not built to be a, it, you know, this boogeyman curriculum that teaches white children to hate themselves and to hate being white, to hate America. Mm -hmm. It is really a framework. It is, you know, I, as an instructor, someone who teaches college level graduate courses, undergrad courses, yes, I will use CRT to inform a critical dialogue around race, but students, know that coming into the class um and you know one thing that our country does that says it does it, it values diversity of opinion and lived experience that's what a democracy is and so i get really it's really interesting that the same folks who want to fight first amendment rights and the freedom freedoms of this country are really trying to limit the freedoms of folks ability to share their truth and share their experiences um but you know that's where we get that these concepts of like white fragility and all these other things that, um, you know, that kind of are power grabs and protection of whiteness that folks want to protect in this country. So, so yeah. Jamie, okay, we're, okay, we're, we're getting down to the end of the show. And I, 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 okay. I promise you that we could talk about this all day long. No, I know. <clears> and I, so I'm, I'm going to ask this, this, this last question and that, because I want to make sure that we address some of the uh, questions from our viewers, but okay. <laughs> When we talk about parents and the community members that should, mm -hmm. should they engage in the current CRT debate, you live in D.C., Jamie. So you, you live close to Loudoun County. And so, you, I mean, you know, you see all that's going on in Virginia. Where I get right. confused, they're talking about CRT in Virginia, and I'm told that it doesn't exist there. Is that so? I, I'm, that confuses me. I'm like, why are you talking about it if it doesn't exist in Virginia? You know what I'm saying? So that that's one piece right. of confusion for me. So right. I guess where I'm going is, should parents and community members get engaged in this current CRT debate? 
So, you know, our stance at the association and just my personal stance is it is no, you know, it's, it's again, it's very, it's very similar. I would compare this fight against this dog whistle against CRT to the stop the steal. You know, the election was a fair democ democratic election, but we still have folks who don't believe that. And it's really not about truth. It's really about instoking fear and, and, and a power grab. The CRT is the same thing. CRT is not being taught to any children, but it has created fear and parents and communities because again who's in control who's power and of course parents don't want the, the parents most parents are not going online researching what crt is they are listening to trusted community baiters and stakeholders and so they're believing them and number two we of course all parents don't want their children to think negatively about themselves or their race i mean that's a general we know that like that's that, and so, of course, parents who don't, who aren't informed are going to get up in arms about CRT. Really what the fight is, if you look at some of the legislation, like our favorite governor, DeSantos in Florida, um, recently put together, and, and, I know, Rudy, I'm sorry. If you, I know, we still trying. <laughs> yeah, we're still trying to keep it okay. <laughs> but, No, but this is an example. You know, eight to nine states have, are trying to pass or have passed legislation that is saying to stop CRT, but when you really read the legislation, they're really banning diversity, equity, and inclusion content and curriculum from the schools. So CRT is really being used to, cl to cloud it over because no one's going to say, we don't want diversity, equity, and inclusion curriculum, particularly if you're an elected official. I mean, what does that say about, so they're using CRT and then they're writing legislation. Um, and so what parents have to do is demand, don't, don't get involved in, don't get involved in the CRT argument. That's a viewpoint. We can, as black people and folks of color have done for years, we can stream our stories, our narratives and our truths, and it's gonna to matter to some, it's not gonna to matter to the other. What, it, what you have to do is really get in, involved in advocating for curriculum that is representative of your students and your children. So your children should be able to go to school and read books and, and, and engage in literature by people who look like them. Um, you know, it's the same thing that I've told, and it, again, it's the same argument we talk about gender. You know, cisgendered little girls should be able to go to school and see cisgendered women and read about women leaders. It's the same thing with CRT. So what parents need to be advocating in this argument is that's fine. If you all want to ban CRT, then you tell me how the curriculum that we're creating is representative of diversity, equity, inclusion of my students in the community I come from. And if you can guarantee us that and you can show that, then by all means, ban something that you don't use anyway, and we support that. And that's and that's fine. And so, yes, they need to engage to ensure that they're in school systems that haven't gotten rid of, you know, To Kill a Mockingbird and other um, major works. Florida mm -hmm. is trying to ban the 1619 Project from high school reading. Um, they have the Woke Act, which is really banning all racialized curriculum. Um, wow. And they've already, you know, it's our, and, and eight other states have, are doing the same thing. So parents, community members, activists, organizers, school boards have to get involved in their counter is that's fine. We're not going to talk about CRT. What we need to talk about is critical pedagogy is the term for it. But how are we, what is the curriculum that is centering inclusion, um, you know, for my students? And answer me that. And that's the debate. And if they say none, then you have a bigger policy fight on your hands. Okay. I, uh, first of all, I want everybody to just pass the plate right now. Okay. Because yeah. Jamie, Jamie, Jamie has come on here and has given us a word and an education about CRT.
Jamie, Jamie, thank you. Now I'm, I'm, I'm thanking you, but I also want to get to just a couple of more questions. We have like okay. one or two minutes that um, I want to ask, respond to the, the viewers. Uh, DJ Callaway, he said that uh, a principal in Texas was recently um, let go because white parents accused him of pushing CRT. There was no proof, but the school board feared the white backlash. That's pretty much like Loudoun County, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I I think if I'm, and, and yeah. I, I would add to you. Um, some folks know my story or not. I won't spend time. But if you Google my name, and then you Google University of Alabama, um, you will see a very similar story. Um, and I think that's also part of this fight. Um, it is to silence and mute those who are trying to move inclusion forward. So it's coming from every way. Yeah, I would just argue that you really can't teach true American history if you don't teach kids about the real legacy of, of slavery, of genocide, of segregation. That is what right. made America, like America is built off of the backs of slaves, right? We became one of the most powerful countries in the world because of the tobacco trade, cotton, and all right. of those things Black people built. Right, it was because of the free labor that America was able to take advantage of that made us uh, an economic powerhouse. So, I just don't think that you can really teach American history without sharing those things. And also, when it comes to our Native American brothers and sisters, Hollywood has sort of glamorized their genocide and made these sort of cowboys look like heroes. And you know, we look at the um, the Holocaust, and I think of what right. happened to the Native Americans. Mm -hmm. It's sort of parallel with what happened with um, the Jewish people. So I don't know. I don't think you have to, I'm trying to like pick up on whatever, everything that Jamie has said. So what I understand, there's no curriculum around CRT for K through 12, but it sounds like some of these teachers are actually trying to give students a real portrayal, a real sense of American history. And now they're under fire. For yeah. That. I mean, your, yeah. I mean, your point is spot on. And the reality of it is, I think sometimes we have to ask who does, who sees who as American? You know, and mm -hmm. I think sometimes black folks, you know, our ancestors built this country, but we haven't really seen, again, there was a law passed, but we're still fighting to really be seen part and deserving in this country. So, no, I think you, you know, you nailed it and, and summarized it exactly what the issue is. Well, Jamie, thank you for the last word. I, we, I, I appreciate Absolutely. that. Thank you. Y'all gonna have you. me back sometime. This was fun. Oh, oh we, <laughs> we, we plan to have you back. Okay. We plan to something, have you back. Something else though. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> okay, well, we, we, we can definitely frame that, okay? But I, okay. I want to thank okay. you for, for being here tonight to, you know, engage us in this discussion on CRT. It was very helpful for me. I know it was very helpful for our viewers, and we definitely appreciate you, Jamie. So thank you, thank you, thank, thank you, you for being here tonight. So don't go away. You You're going to leave the screen, but we're going to okay. bring you back for the closing of the show. Thanks a lot, ladies and gentlemen, okay. Dr. Good. Jamie R. Riley. Whoa, how was that, guys? Oh, lovely. <laughs> awesome. Very that interesting. Very interesting. Um, and uh, kudos to all of you who make that work. So, ladies and gentlemen, um, as, as I told you, this is our last show for the year. And we wanted to do something different in our second segment of the show. And we all agreed on it. So, tonight, we're going to call this segment Just Thankful. And we're going to share with you, our viewers, a, we're going to take a couple of minutes to talk to you, and I'm sorry, to share with you what we're thankful for. All right? So, Nigel, would you uh, lead us into that, please? 
Oh, sure. Um, I think I'm really <clears throat> just thankful for family. Um, I lost my great grandfather, um, who was in his early nineties, um, earlier this year. And he was like my father figure and my grandmother suffered from a stroke, but she came out. Okay. So I think just looking over this year and just seeing how blessed I am just to still be surrounded by so many loved ones and so many people. Um, it just made me truly appreciative. There were so many people last year who lost so many of their family members and who died themselves. So I'm just so grateful. And those are the things that I'm grateful for this year. Thank you. Thank you. Saladin. I'm also grateful for my family. Um, like Nigel, I have friends who lost their parents as a result of COVID. And I'm happy that I'm still able to, that I was able to travel to Arizona a few months ago, see my mom and hug her and squeeze her and spend lots of time and laughter. I look forward to seeing my father soon. And I'm thankful for the friends who have expressed and shown so much love and affection towards me and who call me and check on me and encourage me. And I'm thankful for my job. <laughs> Amen. Amen. How about you, Vas? I, I'm really grateful for community. Um, COVID was really crazy in the sense that it really sort of pushed us all uh, into sort of solitude and isolation. But through that, one, I have met you all, which has been really quite amazing. Um, and I've also met other people and have connected other people. And one person in particular became our 400th like on our he said he said he said page uh anunnaki ray marquez so i wanted to just send a, a wow, big shout out because okay. we've been getting to know each other on facebook and um that's just been really really lovely to just have a sense of community in a time that's juxtaposed to being so alone and lonely so i'm thankful for that mm -hmm. thank you thank you vosh well yeah. um Okay, you all know, you know, I'm that I'm 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 that spiritual kid. So I am I am first of all, I am thankful for just waking up each and every day in my right mind uh because it allows me actually to do what I what I love to do best and that's trying to make a difference um in somebody else's life. Um I'm thankful for my struggles. I you know, I feel like I'm one of the most resilient men in the world. So um, I feel like by doing that, that it's, it's made me, it's pretty much made me who I am. And I'm also thankful for the people who love me. And mm -hmm. I have a lot of people who love me. And this just makes me teary-eyed sometimes because they, they love me sometimes more than I love myself. And Lord knows, some might ask me, how can that be? But, but that, 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 is, that is so true. Um, they're the ones that make my life worth living. And one more thank you, I am thankful I mean this for this, he said, he said, he said, um, collaboration, because it is not hard when you, it is not easy when you are creative and you have something that you want to do and you have people that rally around you who are brilliant at what they do and you're finding their, their strong points and you're talking about your weak points and we do that. And so thank you all for just being a part of this year and i'm just getting kind of like a little tear oh and so i but i do i do love you all and we will share more of those moments at our anniversary show on february the 15th i mean i'm sorry february the 25th but um uh we have uh lost some folks uh this year and nigel actually has a presentation that uh 
he's created for all of us. Yeah, guys, like Alvin said, this year has been a journey, um, but we're all here, but not everyone got to be here with us to the end. Um, so he said, he said, he said, just wanted to pray homage to those who have passed on, but are not forgotten. Thank you. Yes, we lost some incredible uh, figures uh, this year. I mean, wow. And, and there are many, many more. And, you know, there are many, many more that, 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 that we lost uh, this year. So if we could have uh, Jamie uh, back on, on, on the screen, uh, please, uh, before we, we say goodbye to everybody. Um, again, uh, Jamie, thank you so much for joining us tonight on this topic about critical race theory. Um, it actually was... Uh, the show that I was looking for to seal the deal this year. So thank you so much for that. Really do thank appreciate you. it. Um, we will return, ladies and gentlemen, on Friday, January the 7th, 2022. We're gonna take a little holiday and we're going to be off Christmas Eve and New Year's Eve. And um, I just wanted to take this moment to thank all of you who have, who have been with us this year and have tuned in every Friday night when you could have been out having a cocktail and doing something completely different. Some of you I know brought your cocktails, but you all tuned in every Friday night and we do appreciate you for that. But once again, we will be back on January 7th. Um, we have a, a wonderful show to kick off uh, this, this, um, the 2022 season on the 7th. Um, so we will see you then. But I wanna leave you with the words of the week. When you are wrong or inequality or justice, when you, I'm sorry, when you see wrong or inequality or justice, speak out because this is your country. This is your democracy. Make it, protect it, pass it on. And those are words from Thurgood Marshall, ladies and gentlemen. And uh, please, please. Follow us on our page. We will post it again. But these are some of the wonderful words for this week. So we are at the end of the show, ladies and gentlemen. And we can really give you our famous salutation for the year. 
But thank you for joining us. Thank you for joining us. And we look forward to seeing you in the new year on He Said. He Said. He Said. He Said. Good night, folks. <laughs> everybody, everybody said. Everybody say something. Everybody said. What everybody said. Everybody say he said. You guys have a good uh, holiday, okay? And we look forward to seeing you in the new year. Have a great night and be safe. All right? Bye. Happy holidays.